As we read through, as we traverse the scriptures of the New Testament, it's easy to get confused as to the type of life to which Jesus is calling his followers to. For example, are Christians to have a life of blessing and abundance? I can show you verses that say as much. Or are Christians to live a life of denial and self-sacrifice? Hi, folks. This is Andy, the analytical preacher. I'm going to cover that topic, answer that question in this podcast. As I've said, we can find verses in the scriptures that suggest strongly that both of those are to be true. So what we want to do is resolve that tension between them. Let, Let me give you a couple of verses on the plus side here. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's a big word, have life abundantly. And as we read on through other parts of scripture, so I'm just going to go three or four chapters farther in John. That was John 10, 10. In John 14, we read things that seem to undergird, that really support this idea straight again from Jesus's mouth, that Christ really wants us to have this most abundant life. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So just in a handful of chapters here in the Gospel of John, we say Christ wants us to have an abundant life. Christ wants us to have the most abundant life and a life free from anxiety and from fear. Sign me up. I'm ready to go. This sounds amazing. Not just any peace, but the peace of Jesus himself. I don't have to be afraid anymore. I don't have to worry about people stealing or killing or destroying me. I can have a life most abundant from God most high. But of course, it doesn't take us long. We continue to flip through the New Testament scriptures. We continue to look at just the words of Jesus himself, and we see the exact opposite side of that spectrum. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 9 and just read a couple of sections of verses here. The first are going to be from Luke 9, verses 23, 24, and 25. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? This idea of taking up your cross. You took up your cross to walk to your own execution in the Roman Empire. Jesus is literally saying, I need you to deny yourself, deny the natural selfish desires of yourself to the point that every day you walk those natural selfish desires to their own execution and death. Deny yourself by taking up your cross daily. You're going to have to lose your life. In other words, lose things that you think are going to make your life best and make your life the happiest. I'm going to need you to lose those things, to execute those things, to give up those things. What would it profit you if you gained every material possession and every dollar bill in the world and yet forfeit yourself? Go a few verses on in Luke 9. I'll read Luke 9, verses 57 and 58. 
As they were going along the road, someone said to him, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus did not tell this individual, you can't follow me or I don't want you to follow me. Jesus said to this individual, let me be honest with you. You are welcome to follow me, but material blessings are absolutely not guaranteed. So if you are following me because that is your definition of life most abundant, you will likely be disappointed and quickly and deeply. So back to the point of this podcast, how do we reconcile these two ideas? They're both not only from scripture, they're both directly from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, and they seem incompatible. Here's the truth. Some of the best lessons that we glean from the Bible, some of the best teachings in there for us come from resolving these types of tensions. We read where someone says A and it seems like someone else in scripture says B and how can both be true? And as we search for those additional scriptures that help rejoin A and B together, we learn some of the most powerful and valuable lessons of scripture. And that's exactly what we'll do here with this. Let me start with Acts chapter 20. I'm going to go to Acts chapter 20, verse 35. This is the apostle Paul writing here. In all things, Paul says, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, so we're immediately starting to dissolve the tension between these two ideas. Are we to have a peaceful life of significance and abundance and blessing? Or are we to live a life of denial and self-sacrifice where every day we execute our own natural desires that are opposed to the ways of God? And the answer is both. We're going to do one by having the other. Paul says, work hard, work hard and make money, work hard and gain and build resources. But then remember, if you really want to be blessed by that hard work and the resources, remember, you're always better off to give than to receive. We see similar writings and what the Hebrews call their wisdom literature. So Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, King Solomon writes this in the first two verses of chapter 11. He says, cast your bread upon the waters. You will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Be willing to give away some of your material blessings and time and resources, because after a few days, and that's figurative, but after some period of time, you will ultimately get those things back. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. Help out anybody you can see that's in need. You may be in need at some point. You do not know when disaster may happen. And the nicer you are to your community and to other people, then the more support you're likely to have in a time of need. But then in Proverbs 19, we get an even more powerful version of this. I think Proverbs 19 verse 17 says this, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deeds. So it's not just if I help someone in need, then later on in life, if I'm in need, people may go, oh, you know, he's a pretty nice guy. We should go help him back because he did some nice things. No, this is actually saying when I help those in need, when I do for others, 
It's as if I'm doing it for the Lord. Same thing Jesus said in the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. What you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. And Proverbs 19.17 says, and he will repay him for his deed. So to get our answer to, are we looking for a life of joy and abundance and blessing and meaning? Or are we looking at a life of denial and self-sacrifice? The answer is almost always, it's the biblical definition of the terms that matter. When we hear words like abundance or blessing, we immediately think in a modern-day American version. We think of the modern-day American definition of those words. And to be abundant in America generally means I have a lot of material blessings, a nice house with a pool and a big watch and a fancy luxury car. And that's not at all what God means by those terms in the Bible. God is saying, and he absolutely means and absolutely promises that we will have the most abundant, resource-filled, joyful, peaceful, meaningful life when we sacrifice our selfish desires to please God, when we serve others in need. It's not a battle between, am I going to live this way and be satisfied? Am I going to live this way and be a servant? God is saying you become the most satisfied. Your life becomes the most abundant, the most peaceful when you sacrifice and become a servant. Just as a quick side note, I often think as I work as a minister and deal with the public on a weekly basis, that the happiest people that I encounter in life are moms, and especially new moms. Now, from American logic, that doesn't seem right because you're basically saying to a new mom, all of your me time is gone. You're now going to have to focus resources on this child literally every day, sometimes when they're infants, every hour. And they're not going to be real cognizant of your needs. They're just going to want what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. And yet it's these same moms who have lost their me time, whose total focus has to be absorbed into that of another person that are the happiest. Why? And I think the answer is obvious because when you're investing in something bigger than yourself, when you're investing in something outside of yourself, when you're providing resources, time, material, money that benefits someone else in a meaningful way, you find true biblical happiness and fulfillment. And I think what God is saying, if everybody wants to be as happy as the new mom that cannot stop smiling, that cannot stop praying prayers of thanksgiving to me, that cannot stop putting pictures on their social media feeds about how great their life is now that this child has come into it, if you want to have that sort of life abundant, then be as giving and loving to others as the mom is to her child, especially again to her new child. We see from historical figures from Buddha to King Solomon, we see historical figures who had everything at their fingertips when they were younger, which both did. Buddha was raised in a palace and King Solomon in a palace. Both of them, as they get older, they write material that says you cannot find meaning, purpose, happiness in material possessions, and a life of luxury. If anything, it's just the opposite. An academic scholar named Jonathan Haidt has written a book called The Happiness 
hypothesis. And Jonathan takes, Dr. Hyde, I should call him, I suppose, takes information from these various sources. So again, from Buddha, from King Solomon and things like Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, etc. He takes information from different historical sources about what makes people happy. And he basically comes down to this same biblical idea, investing in something, self-sacrificing for something outside of yourself, even bigger than yourself, is the best way to do it. Another academic scholar, Daniel Gilbert, he's written a book called Stumbling on Happiness. And in his research, Gilbert has shown, it's interesting, we don't often even know what's going to make us happy. We say to researchers, I want this, this, and this in my life because it will increase my fulfillment. As we obtain those things, our fulfillment doesn't go up. We tell researchers, I hope this and this and this doesn't happen to me because I really think it would drag me down. Then it happens and it turns out they go back and tell the researcher, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. That opened doors I couldn't imagine and changed my life in ways that I'm so glad that it did. So Daniel Gilbert argues, we're really not that great at even figuring out how to make ourselves happy. And the one thing that we do know is that it's not just piling up possessions, being selfish, and worrying only about ourselves. The fastest way to make yourself unhappy is to focus only on your own happiness. So it is true, Jesus is not calling us to a life of greater material possessions. He's not calling us to a life of, of more likes on Instagram or a bigger following on TikTok. Not at all. Jesus is saying some of the things you think will make you happy won't. And some of the things that you think will make you happy would come at the expense of other people. What I want to see is you to have a life most abundant, a life of true blessing, meaning and purpose and satisfaction where fears decrease, where anxiety decreases and where others are not harmed or taken away from in the process. But in order for you to experience that type of abundant peaceful blessings that I want for you and that I'm promising you, I need you to deny a lot of your own natural, sinful selfishness. As I define them, Jesus says, not as you think you understand them, as I define your natural, sinful selfishness, I need you to take those things every day to the execution chamber and to kill them. And I need you to live a life where you are willing to help, encourage, even invest time, money, and resource in others in a self-denying, sacrificial way. And as we begin, as we begin to do that denial, engage in that self-sacrificing, as we begin to encourage, help out, or even invest in others outside of ourselves, we actually find that we sort of fell backwards into this joy, into this abundance, into this purpose, satisfaction, and peace that we had wished that we had all along. So I can close with this. Jesus did come to give his followers life most abundant, just as he promised in John 10, 10. But just as we read in Luke 9, Jesus has a radically different way of allowing us, helping us to achieve that abundance. And that way for him is not accumulating $1,000 watches and $100,000 luxury cars. That way for Jesus is you need to find true meaning, purpose, satisfaction, and growing peace by investing in others. And we would obviously say, look at the example of Christ. Look at his 
denial. Look at his self-denial. Look at his self-sacrificing. Look at how he encouraged, worked with, and invested in those around him and use the example of Christ if we ultimately want to live the life most abundant, undergirded by peace that he's promised to us. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.